Well, it is good to be here. Very, very good to be here. And just about that coffee shop, Kyle, um, Kim can attest to this. It was the best coffee on the border. <laughs> Not the only coffee, okay? <laughs> just the best. That's all. But, uh, you know, as Kyle said, yeah, four years ago, August 4th, they took us. Uh, very, um, well, we weren't expecting it. I guess we'd say that. We uh, never had any thought of it. And then just over two years ago, we were released, deported from China. But, uh, you know, there's only one reason we're here today. It's not because of the warm weather. Okay? I know for you guys it's a little cool. For us it's nice. <laughs> we left a snowstorm, so that's okay. But there's only one reason we're here, and that's because people prayed. Okay? I know you guys prayed. I know many, many people prayed. But the only reason we could say we're here today is because you guys prayed. You know, the Canadian government would like to say, oh, yeah, we got him out, yeah. Good negotiating skills, all those things. It was nothing to do with that. It was because people prayed. Okay? And I want you to understand that. I want you to remember that. Because even though it took 775 days, it was still God's answer to prayer. And why do these things happen? Why were we taken? We'll, we'll go into that in a second. Why do hard times, pain, and suffering come to any of us? We don't, we don't know all the answers. But Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he tells us, just to give us a little glimpse, okay? just a little glimpse. He says, to the church of God at Fathom. I know, even Kyle's not questioning my translation. <laughs> but God is speaking to us, isn't he? Okay? It says Corinth, we know that. But God's word is personally to us. And during those 775 days, it was personally to us, just as it is to you today. It's personally to you. He goes on to say in verse 8, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the troubles and hardships we experience in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. And I want you to understand that it was far beyond our ability to endure any of it. Way, way beyond. So that we despaired even of life itself. You know, people threaten you with execution again and again and again. You know they can do it because they do do it. It kind of, it, it gets to you a little bit, right? So we despaired of even of life itself. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Okay. The next verse, the next part of verse 9 is the key. And you've got to remember this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, we can't rely upon ourselves. We could not rely upon ourselves. But it's the same today. It's no different. God hasn't changed. He doesn't, you know, change because of the circumstance. He's exactly the same. And he says, no, you can't rely upon yourself even today here in Jacksonville, Florida. But you can rely upon God. He says, who raises the dead? Isn't that incredible? He goes on to say, he has delivered us in such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope. When it says we have set our hope, that's a choice. You understand, setting our hope on God is not something that automatically happens. We choose to do it. We choose to set our hope on God. It's not, there's no magic pill. It's just we make a conscious choice to set our hope on God. And that's what we had to do every single day. And what's what we have to do every single day now. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Again, we can't rely upon ourselves. 
Julie's going to come and share a bit more of the story. Then I'm going to come back and share just a little bit of prison life. It's awesome to be with family. Even though we don't know all your names, we just come in and we feel like we're just family. And it's so amazing. And I think God, one of the reasons we believe that God had us go through this is so we can just sort of give voice to that piece of your family that you might not meet. And I want to tell you a little bit about what is it like to journey with Jesus through these kinds of prison situations. Because it's not the same as journeying without Jesus. <laughs> and I think that's true for all of us every day. And we did not know that the U.S. was having, you know, Department of Defense, huge meetings going on. And at those huge meetings, they're pressuring Canada to catch this Chinese spy because he was in Canada at the time and he was spying on U.S fighter jets or something like this and other stuff, and they knew he was controlled by the Chinese military. So they're telling Canada, get this guy for us. Anyway, finally, when China hacked into the National Research Archives of Canada, Canada was like, enough. It's gone getting too far. They, they caught the guy. They grabbed him, and China decided, okay, we're going to grab two people, Canadians and the governmental trade. Well, our government is a little bit different than your government. We don't even have any kind of way of trading. Our parliament doesn't even work like that. So what was God doing? <laughs> you see, he's not surprised by these things that blindside us in our lives. He was saying, I'm choosing you. We are, if we are free, we are free in Christ. If we are prisoners, we are prisoners of Christ. That's quite incredible to think about. I'm never the victim of a political system. I'm never the victim of a family situation. I'm never the victim in Christ. So I, I, I went out for this dinner with Kevin, and we're at this dinner, and we did, we, it was a normal dinner for us because people just invite you, and they want to talk about their kids going abroad to study and things like that. So we go for this dinner, and over-the-top a little bit dinner. We come down in this elevator. China has, like, lots of... Um, individual private rooms for dinners, and they're on different floors. Come down in the elevator. We come out of the elevator, and all of a sudden, there's this massive group of people. And I thought, wow, this is a wedding. <laughs> See, God looks at things so differently than us. It was a really weird wedding. It was actually an abduction. But God is an upside-down kingdom God. And we have to see inside the most bizarre things, what he sees. So all of a sudden, I'm grabbed, and I'm thrown in a black sedan car, you know, and I'm, like, taken away, and they strip me of everything except my clothes, and I had my purse there, and I, like, just reached inside my purse, and I'm at this little station, and I grab out these four little pictures of my children because I'm, like, I'm taking them with me. <laughs> Whatever they're doing to me, I'm keeping my kids because they took absolutely everything else, my earrings, wedding ring, everything, and... I'm like, I'm not letting go of my children. That's how God feels about you. He, you can throw away everything in your life. You can do whatever you want, but God is going to continue to hold you in his hand. He said, I'm not letting go of one of my children. Even those that don't know me, all of Jacksonville, he's grabbing hold of them. They don't even know him yet, some of them. Some of them have walked away from him. Some of them don't care about him. 
He's holding them like that, going, they're precious. They're going to go wherever I go. They are in my hand. And one day they'll recognize it, or maybe they won't. But my love for them is like that. And so I'm then thrown back in a car. Finally, they let me keep these little pictures because I was, like, sobbing my head off. And they thought, I don't know if they maybe felt sorry for me, and they're like, let me keep these pictures. And I'm thrown back in this car, and I'm driven out to this compound. And in China, people disappear. So you don't go into the prison at first. You disappear into an interrogation compound. So that's where we were taken. And in fact, it turned out later we were both in the same compound, but we didn't know for three months. And everyone else in the compound was the guards and the interrogators and the leaders, 50 or 60 guards to watch us. So dangerous. In Christ, we are <laughs> in a different way. You know, so what is God doing? It says in John 5, 17, my father is always at work, and I too am working. And when I was thrown in that compound, first of all, my mind had been, you know, my body's like human, shaking, crying, all this stuff. But my spirit is supernatural. <laughs> And it's like interceding, right, the whole time as I'm driving out in this car and I'm getting into this compound. And this supernatural aspect of our lives that God freely offers us by choice is incredible in this kind of situation. That we can feel abducted and trapped and also feel chosen and loved at the same time. And so I'm in this room, and, you know, I'm like, okay, this is going to be over. They're going to realize they made a mistake. They've already thrown all these accusations at me. You're a spy. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And they, I'm like, something's wrong. Someone's going to get in trouble. I didn't know the political play was going on. And I wake up in the morning, and I'm still there. You open your eyes, and you're like, that must have been a bad nightmare, but it was real. Wake up in the morning. Two guards are sitting in my room. So I'm in a one room. Two guards are there the whole time. They eight-hour shifts. They don't even leave you alone. They're, like, sitting there writing in little notebooks. Julia stood up. Julia went to the bathroom. It's kind of embarrassing. I'm British background. You know, Julia changed her clothes. Julia did this. Whatever they're writing, I don't know. They don't let me see it. But I just, like, take a step towards them and, like, hide their little notebooks. You know? <laughs> Not supposed to talk to you. And I'm like, what do I ask? Two questions. And I taught this to a lot of people. But in that situation, it was not easy to ask. One is... How do I survive? And the second question, and it's really important for you to, you to grab hold of this, how do I serve? We never, if my father is always at work in us, equipping us, helping us, comforting us, loving us, he's also at work wherever he puts us. My father is always at work. So I ask this question, how do I serve? Because I'm not going to waste this opportunity for God in me to reach the interrogators, for God in me to reach my guards, for God. how much he loves them that he would send me there. Do we think about that? You know, I'm sitting there, and, I, and after days and days, I was in that room for six months by myself, six hours a day, the interrogators wouldn't question me for six hours about everything under the sun. And I'm like, wow, they're going to see how God shows up. All these verses, you know, as Kevin, Kevin and I talked later, and I'm like reading through, I, I know the Bible really well, and I was reading through the Bible, and he'll tell you how we got the Bibles, which was another miracle. We got our Bibles, and I'm reading through, and I'm like, hey, they got food. Paul and Peter, they got food delivered in prison. We don't get that. And, you know, like you're comparing the stories completely differently, and I'm like, wait, they got visitors. They got pens and paper. You know, it's like they all of a sudden, their prison things look good. I thought, yeah, man, if I'd just beaten for one day and I could have got out, that would have been kind of nicer than six months in isolation. You know, it's really interesting, your perspective changes. But then what else? They sang hymns, <laughs> right? 
I just sang hymns. What I saw is God loved them so much that he would choose me and Kevin. It's pretty much of an honor to be chosen for our suffering. And we don't often think about that. And I was sitting there one day thinking like, wow, I owe half the world an apology. I never thought someone lying in a bed dying of cancer for like just dying for years on end was chosen to release Christ in that situation. Do we ever think about it like that? Like we want it to end. Hosea 2.15 says, what, after Gomer had just been like a disaster, God tells her, tells Hosea, his, her husband, take her back. Take her back. Why? Because I want something to happen for my whole people group of Israel. And I want something to happen in your family. Why was he saying that kind of stuff? Because he was desperately loving the people that were far from him. Desperate. He said, 2.15, he says, in the valley, and that's a pretty ugly valley near Jericho. It still exists. It's a stony ground valley. And he says, in your valley, I will open a door of hope. He doesn't say, I will create an exit. We often think the door has got to be an exit. I'm going to get out of this and into my new life, or I'm going to get free of this, or I'm going to get that. Don't miss what's right there. In this valley is a door of hope. Maybe it's a door to knock on. Maybe it's a door to peer through. Maybe it's a door just to, like, dance in front of. We don't know what it's for exactly, but God knows. And in my cell there, God opened a door of hope. So I saw healings happen. My interrogators one day said to me, so, you know, Julia, like, why do you have such good character when we're so mean to you? Because I like to be smiling. I gave them English names. I'm like, hi, Stephen. Hi. I like go into the interrogation because it kind of diffuses the atmosphere. They're like, this is the weirdest spy captive we've ever had. She like dances in her room. She's always singing hymns. You know, all my, I could tell my guards were kind of like a little happier to be on duty in my room than it might have been in other rooms because at least the atmosphere was full of the joy of the Lord. And it didn't make sense. And my interrogator one day, I'm like, oh, so what's wrong with your back? And he's like, oh, I've had back problems for years. And I just sat there and looked at him. He's like, are you doing that praying thing? (laughs) See, you don't have to say it. God is revealing himself to people. God wants to heal people. God loves people. And God will send us into the situations he wants us to go. First of all, he reveals himself to us in deeper ways. Would I exchange that? No. I got to know God so well in such a private and personal context, and he shows up for people that may be unreached people. We gave our lives to reach unreached people. The FBI of China is probably really hard to reach unless someone's in the prison, unless someone's in those places. And so I am really, really thankful. And I wrote, at Thanksgiving, I wrote them thank you notes on the backs of all my confession paper. I had to write thousands of pages of confessions. Um, just basically everything, you know, I'm like, great, good, because when I get to heaven, it's already all written out, (laughs) you know, like, and I was exhausted, and I'm not saying my human side of didn't despair, because that's true, I got it, but I also got, well, your human side is despairing, the Holy Spirit is fully active, and fully alive, and sharper than a two-edged sword, and you get to see what that looks like when you're in your crisis, so don't rush your crisis, In it, find the door of hope. Because God wants to meet you 
and he wants to meet others, and he's always, always at work. And so I'm very, very thankful. And after that, I just thought when you're having the table, I love that kind of idea. Because when I was in prison, I prayed, God, before I leave, let me have a meal with my captors. That was one of my prayers in prison. Because a meal in China around the table is always like a reconciliation and hope. And right before I left China, so I left three weeks before Kevin, they told me, go home, Kevin will be in prison for a long time, and uh, you need to go home and make money, because they took all our money and everything. And you need to go home and make money and send it back to pay for his prison, because it's expensive to live in prison after they switched him from the isolation to a prison. And so I just said, you know, God... What do I do? God is amazing. All I know is God is amazing. He never leaves us alone. And he comes and he opens a door in our crisis, and it's not always an exit because of his great love. Never forget how much he loves you, but he also loves everyone else. And he wants to use you because you know his love and you've received his love and you've grabbed hold of his love. So you're his choice to love others. And so like by a couple months from now, I hope this is just like full of people that have been loved to death by you. <laughs> loved to life, I should say, right? Praise God. And I, I, when I got home, you know, I met my kids, my four kids that I never let go of. And each of them has their own journey. All I'm thankful for is they have journey is with Jesus and not without him. Because through the bumps and through the, the challenges, you know, my 17-year-old, she was 17 at the time. And she's like, great, you know, I have no family and the whole family decides what I'm supposed to do and I don't, can't ask my parents for advice. And she's just like having this, because the whole family gets together and has a meeting, you know, she's taken back to Canada and she's like, stay here, your parents will be out soon. And she's like a typical 17-year-old just kind of girl going through everything else already. And she's just like, yeah, great, you know, I can't, I'm supposed to go to college. And then they told me to stay here and, you know, da, 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 da. Then last May, she invited us to come hear my speech. And we went to hear a speech at her college. And her speech was called My 775 Days. And it ended with the words, to God be the glory. That's the beautiful thing. That's how God wants your story to end. That's how God wants your story to be every day. And never forget that you're clutched in his hands. And he takes your worst times and he puts a door of hope there. And he's always at work. And all he asks is that you say, to God be the glory. Those 775 days, you know how long that is? 775 days, I know. <laughs> it's two years, one month, 11 days, and a few hours. That's what it turned out to be. You know, and during that time, as Julia said, it was, it was hard. We cried out to God, and we cried. Real men don't cry to God. Yes, they do. <laughs> okay? They do, and sometimes a lot. But those two years really were the bonus years. You've got to understand that. We spent 30 years in China, then God gave us two bonus years. We had um, another friend who was managing the coffee shop we had, and uh, when we were taken, he and his wife had to stay in China too because they were, quote, witnesses. They couldn't leave. 
And for the first month or so, they said it was just like, what do we do? They're really frustrated. And then they decided to embrace it. They said, okay, if this is God, it's going to be good. And when we met them last year, again, after a long period, they said that was the most fruitful time of ministry ever, those five or six months they had. Because China would not let them leave. But really, God would not let them leave, right? God said, no, i got a plan. You need to be here. Okay? I'm going to use the Chinese government to keep you here, but that's, that's the way it works. But you can believe in those 775 days, we called out to God many, many times. You know what happens when we call out to God? What does he do? He said, uh, just a minute, I'm busy. You know, I'll get to you. There's a lot of people calling out right now. You know, it's, it's a busy time. You get that when you call the bank or something like that. They say, oh, you know, you're number 462 in line or something like that. No, but God answers right away, doesn't he? He answers right away. Now, I was asking for a particular answer, right? You understand what that answer was, right? Get me out of here right now. <laughs> because we do. But God said, I've got, I've got a different plan. And so when I prayed, and sometimes that was many times a day, often it was many times a day, God help, because I can't do this. That peace that surpasses all understanding came. And I had such a different perspective when that came. I read verses like Psalm 46.1. It says, God is ever-present in times of trouble. The, the key is, he's ever-present. Okay? Times of trouble, yes, but he's just ever-present. And as Julia said, John 5.17, my father is always at work because he is. He's always at work. And if God's ever-present... And if he's always at work, then what's the problem? There is no problem. We just get to join God in what he's doing. We get to choose to put our hope in him. So in those first six months, as we were being interrogated every day, we kept in isolation. I had the same situation as Julia. I didn't know she was there for the longest time. Two guards in my room all the time. I never left my room except to use the washroom, which mine was down the hall. Julia's was actually in her room. And um, I did figure out something. You know, Julia said we have 50 to 60 guards for us in that compound. There are no other prisoners except us in that place. It's what they, in China they call a black jail. It's, it doesn't exist officially. So I figured out why there are so many guards for us. Not just because we're dangerous, but because those guys had watched way too many Jason Bourne movies. That makes sense to me anyways. 24-7 <laughs> lights, 24-7 guards. But God had a plan for them, right? They got to watch Christians 24-7. Got to see who God was. After those six months of isolation, Julie was moved to house arrest, which means she had very little freedom. No ID, no money, constant surveillance, reporting, coming down to meet them, Wherever, whenever they called, and then they moved me to prison. And I remember praying on the way to the prison. They told me I was going just a short time before that. And I said, God, not prison. I'd seen way too many bad movies about prison. I didn't want to go. But again, I had to choose to join God in what he was doing, right? What does Paul say in Ephesians 3.1? He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ... I had to choose and believe that God had chosen us for this. So I got to that prison. 
Huge walls, you know, it's like a prison, okay? Guards, guns, soldiers, and about 900 prisoners in that place where I was. Small compared to some of the other ones. I get in there, and I get to put into cell 318. In cell 318, it's about 12 by 5 and a half paces. So if you pace that out in your house or even church later, uh, a little bigger than the stage, there are 14 people in that cell. 14 people means you're about yeah, that close to the next person, okay? Whether you want to be or not, no choice. And I was afraid. I was like, I didn't want to be there. In prison, as Julia said, you have to purchase everything. If you want to eat, you have to pay for it. Things are a little different than the system here. Is that right? I don't know. I'm going to talk to your government. <laughs> Costs about $500 a month just to live in prison. If you want a toothbrush, you got to buy it. If you want a bottle of water, you get to buy it. If you want to eat, you get to have to pay for it. You eat in groups of three or four people because they, they just bring these big, huge bowls of something. I'm not always sure what it was. I can say for, for a certain, I ate really bad Chinese food for two years. But the other interesting thing is, and I had time to figure lots of things out, is that 28.4% of the time, there's no food to buy. Because in China, prison is a business. They don't want to make too much because they don't want to have leftovers, so they make not quite enough. And for some reason, our cell just happened to be at the end of the hallway in the section where it didn't always get there. So oftentimes, it would run, they'd run out of food before they got there. I can't tell you how many times the next cell to us got the last bowl of food, and we didn't get any. Just like, but that's God's diet plan, right? Just the way it is. But I got into that cell, and there was one guy, Henry Gao, I called him. And um, he was a doctor. Long story why he was there. But uh, he gets in, and everything's in Chinese. Okay? And um, he says to me, Kevin, just think of this as a long holiday. Okay, I said, no, it's not. I said that to myself, I was being polite. But then a little later, he started noticing that I would get up at 3 or 3.30 every morning because God would just wake me up every day, every single day, no matter what. And I would just start to read and pray, and that was my church of one. You know, this is a big church compared to mine. But it's really a church of four, isn't it? Right? And God would just meet me there every day. And I was just like, some days, I didn't have to turn the lights on because they're already on, so it was okay. Some days I just wanted to sing, but I, then I'd wake everyone else, everyone else up, so I couldn't do that. But then this guy, Henry Gao, said, Kevin, I think God's giving you a chance to study. That made sense. And a little bit later, as he was being moved to the big prison where there's five or 6,000 people, he said, Kevin, I want to believe like you. John 5 is 517, what does it say? My father is always at work. And he was, and time and time again, people came and they just said, Tell me about Jesus. One guy, he was a university professor, he stole a lot of money from the university. He just said, Can you tell me some Bible stories? I didn't stand on my wooden cot, my wooden bed, and preach. I just said, God. Let them ask questions. And people do. And people did. When I got into that cell, as I said, there were 14 people in that cell. 
But over the period of 19 months I was there, 80 or 90 people passed through my cell. Some for just a few hours, some for a few weeks, some for a few months. But God had a plan for that captive audience, right? Because he always does. It's never random. Never, never is it random. Petty thieves, drug addicts, policemen, former policemen, mafia members, a couple of people who were going to be executed came through my cell. God had a plan for them. Many people would just start talking. One guy, he was a drug addict. He was in very, very bad shape because there's no uh, detox program. It's just like, you're in prison, get over it. So he'd been to prison four times, spent a, already a dozen years in prison. This is his fifth time being arrested, 50 days after he'd been released from his last sentence. 50 days. He doesn't want to talk about anything. He's, he's not in good shape. He goes to court, comes back, and they sentence him to 15 more years in prison. He knew he would die in prison. But at that point, I had a Chinese Bible with me because our government, the embassy, pushed so that I could get books. So I would, at one point, I asked, hey, can I get a Chinese Bible? And I thought, well, I might as well ask. All they can say is no. But they gave me a Chinese Bible. At that point, when this guy was sentenced to 15 more years in prison, then he turned to me and said, can I read your book? How else could that happen unless I was there? Because other prisoners were not allowed to have books. They couldn't get books like that. But God allowed me to bring that Chinese Bible in the prison. I don't know if it's still there. I assume, I hope, it's still there floating around that prison, giving hope to people because that's what God does. He gives hope to people, right? Let me ask you a question. How can Jesus, the light of the world, as John 8, 12 says, shine in the darkness unless the light goes into the darkness? We as believers have the light of Christ in us. And if we don't go in somewhere, the light can't shine there, right? Because that's how God uses us. He uses us to be the light wherever we go. And you have to understand we didn't volunteer for prison, would you? But actually, we did, and actually, so did you. You haven't read the fine print, right? Luke twenty-two forty-two. Jesus, what does he say? He says, not my will, but yours be done, Lord, right? He says that to us. But we make the choice. We choose every day, are we going to follow Jesus? I don't mean become, become a follower, I don't mean to be born again to become a Christian. I mean, every day, we get the choice to wake up and say, God, I'll follow you again today. Not to walk out, you know, a routine or a pattern, but to say, God, what do you want today? In my situation, no matter how hard and difficult it is, God, what do you want today in it? Because he says, yeah, sometimes life is going to be a little inconvenient or maybe just a little painful. He says, He's giving us a choice to join him and how he wants to share hope with people in a hopeless situation. One time, the, um, the warden of the prison came by. Very, very stern woman in her 50s. I don't know anyone like that. But um, she, she came by and she looked in the cell and she says, and she talked like this, Come and go! The way she always talked. She says, I see you're reading your book. Your Bible. 
I'm slightly concerned at what she's going to say next. She says, that's good. Now think what she just said. She's the boss. She's in charge of the 900 prisoners and probably a few hundred guards. I don't know how many were there. They never told me that. She just announced, certainly to ourselves nearby and the guards that were with her, and really to everyone else, that reading the Bible was good. Like, how else does God do those things unless he does it through us? The whole prison heard because he wanted the whole prison to hear, right? That's how it works with God. He does things. But, you know, I kept seeing God at work again and again and again, and really all the time he was at work. And one time I remember feeling really, really down. I was, I was feeling despair. And there's a little place outside the our cell that we could go out some, well, and they let us out, which was supposed to be twice a day, but never was. It's a place the same size as the cell, but it's outdoors, so there's a cage and walls and stuff around. Feeling really, really just discouraged, despair. And I walked out to the end of the, the little area, and I just clung on to the bars and started crying. I said, God, I can't do this. I'd said that a few times. And then I looked down, and right in front of me, there's a dandelion bright, bright yellow in the drabness and darkness of that place. And all of a sudden, I just knew God put that there for me. I know you guys want to cut them down. Don't, okay? Because that just changed my whole perspective all of a sudden. Because I knew God put that right there for me. The same time, right about the same time I was reading in John. John 6, 66 to 68. And Jesus is speaking to disciples. He's speaking some hard things, and some people had already left, didn't want to follow Jesus anymore, and they said, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Peter replies, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We could say only Jesus has the words of eternal life because that's what they are. Again and again, I kept seeing God at work, what he was doing, and how amazing it was that he would do those things. And there's, there's many things we could tell, but I'm afraid you're gonna have to read the book, okay? But I wanna say a couple things in closing. One is, you know, when Joseph was speaking to his brothers, when they were, after their father died, Joseph's a little concerned, or they're a little concerned what Joseph will do. He speaks to them, he says, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. See, God meant every one of our 600 and 775 days for good because he always does. He means what he does for good. Just as a reminder, maybe you can write these down if you want, just the things that God spoke to us and continues to speak to us. 2 Corinthians 1.9, we can't rely upon ourselves because we just can't, okay? Then or now. God is always at work, John 5, 17. Okay. God is always present, Psalm 46, 1. John 6, 68, only God has the words of eternal life. And God meant it for good, Genesis 50, verse 20. Because that's what he does. No matter what you go through, are going through, or will go through, God is present, and he's at work. Thank you. Thank you.